officials were somehow different. And we, because we went into this whole, we had no idea about this, this forfeiture thing. And I think California just overturned it. So we don't, they can't do it in California, but federally they can still do it. The DEA can seize your property without charging you for a crime. And it's insane it's insane yeah that that was something very educational that we learned that day yeah but just the sad thing is the majority of people don't know about this and how jeff sessions is very dangerous uh, i mean it's uh, it just brings up and the whole thing with that is it was racial profiling oh it's because he was yeah. black okay i mean and and then they just they said oh this is drug money why would why would anybody be on this train here uh, with because you know, ten thousand dollars? Right? How would you have gotten that money? He's like, well, when I, I think of trains, it. I think of when I think of drugs, I think of trains. Trains, right? Yeah, yeah the Amtrak. One the same, right? That's all you. But there was no, there were no drugs. They just took his money. It's terrible. Uh, so that's a real thing. Um, that's a scary civil thing. asset forfeiture. The Drug Policy Alliance has created a digital campaign to put the brakes on Alabama Republican Senator Jeff Sessions' nominee, nomination for Attorney General. The Drug Policy Alliance campaign includes a video launched on the route that exposes Jeff Sessions' appalling record on drug policy, civil and human rights, and criminal justice reform. The Drug Policy Alliance video, created by award-winning filmmaker Dream Hampton, alternates between archival media footage of Sessions' troubling racist words and actions and DPA staff and allies talking about what sessions would mean for drug policy and criminal justice. The video ends with a call to action asking people to call their senators to reject sessions for attorney general. Uh, recently, the Drug Policy Alliance organized a teleconference for reporters to discuss Sessions' record on civil and human rights, criminal justice reform, and drug policy. Representatives from Latino Justice, NAACP, uh, Legal Defense Fund, the Council on American Islamic Relations, Cato Institute, the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference, and the Drug Policy Alliance express their concerns about Sessions. Senators should reject Jeff Sessions for the floor, Piper said. He must be stopped before he causes irreparable damage to our country. Uh, oh, man. These, like, three years are going to be looking sexy. I be, mean... <laughs> this is the sexiest cabinet ever. All straight white males. Wow. Yeah, this is a. Uh, sexy. This sexy. is not re representative of the republic. This is representative of a very specific type of. Oh yeah. Republic. Uh, that it's so scary. Banana. <laughs> the banana. <laughs> yes, there's the joke. They all have their bananas. Uh, so this is the, the on the cover of their thing. They have the stop Jeff Sessions nomination. He was picked. Uh, to be the next attorney general, you can click on the link to send a message to your senator now, and uh, you put in your, you just copy paste. It's really easy. Uh, the letter that you can copy paste says, "Dear Senator, President-elect Donald Trump has picked Sessions to be the next attorney general of the United States. I urge you to oppose his nomination." As a U.S. senator from Alabama, Sessions said, "Good people don't smoke marijuana." He once joked that the only issue with the Ku Klux Klan was their drug use. He was even denied a federal judgeship. 30 years ago by a Republican-controlled Senate for racist remarks. He is likely to use his power as Attorney General to interfere with state legal marijuana and medical marijuana programs. Sessions is also a proponent of harsh sentences for drug offenses. Sessions was the chief opponent of recent bipartisan efforts to reduce the sentences for drug offenders, demagoguing that this proposal would provide for leniency for legal alien drug traffickers and voting against the bill in Judiciary Committee. Jeff Sessions is not fit to serve as Attorney General, and as your constituent, I am strongly urging you to oppose his nomination. Sincerely, your first and last name. Uh, you can copy-paste this, and they have uh, a list 
of all of the uh, of the senators you can send it to. So please, I urge you to do that uh, now. Now, because ASAP. Yeah, because things are things are getting scary. He's, he's about to. I think there's a, either one or two Democrats that have are still holding out uh, for his confirmation. So I was just reading about that today. Huffington Post. Yeah. Are they holding out now with the numbers that such that it is? Is it going to make an impact, or is it more of a, uh, a spiritual stand? He's, I think it, it's not going to make an impact. Right. You know, he's but it's important. He's going to be yeah. the attorney general. It's, it's still important be, yeah. to make waves. Yeah. And make this known how we feel, of course. Exactly. But I mean, this is you know, it this, would be a sh- the biggest shame to start rolling back the marijuana drug reform. Uh, and policy reform that we've had recently and the legalization that we've rallied around and embraced here in California and in Colorado and legally in Washington First and Oregon. Of all, you would think, okay, so these Republicans love Bunny, right? So look they how claim much to. Yeah. Can if if you see how much revenue that Colorado and Washington State have brought back to their state. Right. Um you would think, hey, I like money. Greed is good. You know what? Let's try to roll things forward because we like money. We can get into this ourselves. Right. But the sad thing is, I think some of the Republicans, like Jeff Sessions, don't don't understand how much, you know, federally this could help and, and bring help economically basically what i'm trying well, to say the problem is that they're having a moral stance about marijuana and marijuana is proven now to have medical benefits to help lots of people both emotionally and physically alcohol is the devil and yet yep. it is so legal yeah that's the absolute truth and it's on the republican side especially the new republicans or the ones of late there's been a co-opt by by the religious right and such that it becomes a moral conversation instead of a fiscal conversation which yes you would win that conversation those who win on the side of the money that can be made should win and can win every single time but you're right it ends up being a moral problem and yes alcohol has the greatest PR in the world what marijuana probably needs is some great commercials let's get it right. there you go <laughs> let's get them a good PR team and let's get the word During out the Super Bowl something, something other than that Cheech would be and would be great yes <laughs> something other than Cheech and Chong because what we've done yeah. is we've dumbed down and we've said marijuana users are stupid and that here's the thing and anti-authority if, if, if I'm well I'm, an, I'm anti-authority yeah, sure. but if, if if marijuana makes you dumb then then I you know then I shouldn't have two master's degrees like <laughs> how is it how is it possible? Be a spokesperson. Right. I mean, right. come on. I, I shouldn't be able to know the fact of the difference between right and wrong if I'm such a pothead. No. That's right. just me. No. Well, I, like I Reefer Madness. <laughs> but that's what Reefer Madness said. All the propaganda that went in in the 30s because William Randolph Hearst had cotton farms instead of hemp farms. And the hemp breaker just had its, uh, the hemp breaker just came out with its uh, patent. And it was going to be widely released so that people could make hemp more usable it was used to be really difficult to take hemp and turn it into rope and turn it into other things but this new machine in the 30s it was great and so the people that had money in timber and in cotton said whoa whoa wait wait a minute we don't want a competing and dupont came out with all that um all that nylon rope and they were like haha we don't want hemp on the ships should all be on 
Uh, nylon rope now. They should never do hemp again. We could have had all hemp ropes. We could have natural. It all boils down to a Betamax versus VHS sort of situation. Right. Political side of the business side. And then it became, the conversation was marketed as morality. Right. Morality as well as uh, the end of uh, prohibition. Anheuser-Busch oh, yeah. also was part of the campaign during the 1930s oh, to be part of to, the whole. To villainize. Booze, yeah, yes. We exact, know. Exactly. And Booze plus good, they used the whole. Uh, racial uh, stamp tax I believe uh, for Mexican people saying that they were um, the ones that were bringing it in right so that goes back to the 30s uh. If I'm such a stoner, why do I know that? Why do you know right. All the yeah, facts. You keep bringing facts to the table. I don't understand. <laughs> we've we've done. A, we've we've been talking about marijuana for the last three years. Like, I mean, all the way from like when it's speaking of the first in the very first uh, medical journals. Actually, in the very first written recorded things of humanity it was the chinese there were these four books of medicine and the chinese wrote them and they talk about they talk about medical marijuana this is four thousand years ago this is one of our first recorded texts and they talk about marijuana usage the the indians have been using and it's that's even the wrong india indigenous well the indians from india have been using it for four thousand years they use cow pee to keep the bugs away. They don't use pesticides, uh, and it's it's all natural, awesome. They have a drink called Bang, which is this weird like yogurt lossy thing with weed in it. It's awesome. They've been using it medicinally in for Africa, hashish. Of years. Yeah. I mean, here in the Americas as well, and then we we can even talk about in the Americas here, the coca leaf. Right. That's right. another subject, though. We won't get into well, that. Well, and now I've had coca tea from my one of my friends went to. Uh, she went to Colombia and she came back and she brought me a box of coca tea and that stuff was amazing. It was like way better than coffee. It was way better than caffeine. And it was like, you know, you steep your coffee, you steep your coca leaves in your water. I don't know if it was illegal for her to bring back, but boy was it good. And it wasn't like I'm high on cocaine. It was like <laughs> it was like really really good coffee. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's 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 I think the fact of the matter is just like We've said this over and over again that there's just too much money in these pharmaceutical companies yeah, yeah, and lobbying, yeah, yeah. and I think that and the oil business, uh, oh God. petrochemical, they, they they're all one and the same. I feel like the, the the petrochemical companies and the pharmaceutical companies, they're deriving like these fake medicines from science, which is I mean it's. I just don't think that we can solve don't everything. Don't use that the, word. It's a dirty word. Science. science. Yeah, quit not bringing science into this. You can't do I that just, down here. I feel like, why do we, what is it about how they've changed us as a people? They haven't we, changed us. No, they, they have because Some we use, when did we start believing that if you take a pill, it will make it better? Was it, was it when advertising was invented? Was it? Was it like um, turn of the century? I think there was good intentions in that. I think a lot of study was done on on, on things that started from plants, like uh, and then we just decided to ma- mass manufacture them. And then of course, yes, then money got involved. And while that could also be a positive inside and make more medicines for us, it of course was then taken over by those that just were rich and greedy. And then now it's been taken advantage of. And yes, now you have the drug companies that are today, which is a downside of capitalism, giving all the power to a very few. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is that we wouldn't even need some of our drugs if we hadn't, if we don't live our lifestyles the way we do, like all of our blood pressure medication. Yeah, I we feel could, like we could fix a lot of this with like diet and exercise. Right, diabetes. Thank yeah. you. Simple shit. Right. Yeah. Thank but, you. But, but that's the thing is that we don't even have, we, not everybody has access to good food. I mean, or education. Or on education. education. It's set up food. that way. Yes. It's McDonald's is a uh, dollar forty nine. Why not? Why go there? Why would I want to get a, a leafy greens and some? Uh, 
Right. Some stuff at the grocery store that cost me seven dollars. Right. And I can just go to the. If right. I can just McDonald's, get it for forty nine. They put yeah. those places in poor communities for a reason to set people up as well as they put those places in suburbs may i say because yes no it's you, true because you cannot get away from an olive garden a mcdonald's or applebee's yeah, for sure right, in the absolutely. suburbs it's very telling when you go to a grocery store and you see that the, the soda a, a two liter soda is 99 cents but a bottle of water is a dollar 45 isn't that amazing yeah, right? <laughs> irony there is but that's the thing how can that be possible because water is water and soda is like water and corn syrup and sparkle sugar. things and sugar fake sugar crap like i mean every once in a like maybe once every two months i'll have a mexican coke you know what i mean that's real sugar mm-hmm. we're real sugar nice treat nice treat but we our bodies are not meant we're never designed to take in these many false products i honestly i have i have kidney issues and i attribute my kidney issues to the massive amounts of Diet Coke I drank in my 20s. I went to Costco once a week and I got myself a flat Diet Coke. I got 24 Diet Cokes and I would go through those in a, flat a week. Of, nice. A flat of Diet Coke and it was either, it was six days and sometimes seven, but it was never eight. I drank Diet Coke instead of water. I drank, I would wake up and I'd go to the refrigerator and I'd pop one of those cold, delicious, weird, now they taste weird to me, but oh, I just that would be like, sweet. I would like <laughs> s- slam a Diet Coke in the morning and then get another and have it in the car on the way to work. And I was, I, at the time I used to wonder like, why? When I moved to San Francisco, I like immediately lost 10 pounds and I couldn't figure out what it was. And it was that I no longer drove my car. Ah. I just started walking everywhere to get that Diet Coke to get well yeah I just stopped drinking Diet Coke because I didn't have any money to buy Diet Coke <laughs> this was before I got on food stamps but now I would never spend money on foods I would I'll buy sparkle water but I won't buy same love the LaCroix love this any Ditto. sparkle water really sparkle man. water love it mm, I love my Perrier yeah. oh man but Crystal like, Geyser yeah love that. all of it Lime flavor, the grapefruit flavor is really good. Which the I'll Crystal Geyser one is cheaper. So, oh, look. Yeah. Advice for you all listening out there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's almost, I don't want to say it's almost, it's a little bit more expensive than you buying a soda. But all these things, like your, you know, your fast food, your, your diet, your Coca-Colas, your Nabisco people, right. they're all built for the fact of putting all these things into their food to get people sick. NutraSweet, which is in a lot of Coke products or any diet products, is very dangerous. It's been- Oh, uh, it gives ca- rats cancer. They grow things on yes, their Yes, exactly. Yeah. There we yeah. go. Big, big cancer rats, yeah. It, they're, yeah. It's can yeah, you can catch cancer, basically. You can catch cancer. You know, and so- Yeah, the people who are, yeah. I think that your diet though, I think, and it's, we're being funny about saying you can catch cancer, but right. diet is what can, I think that the way that we eat, I've always wondered like, doesn't it seem like everyone's dying of cancer? Doesn't it seem like everyone's getting cancer? Just this week, I found out two people that I'm acquainted with that they're, they're like, yeah, one of them has stage four bladder cancer and the other oh, has no. stage something, uh, breast cancer. And I was like, this week, what is going on with the cancer? Yeah. I just feel like everyone, when did this, people didn't die, did people die of cancer in the 1800s? That's, I mean, I guess No, they, they probably did. died and got it out of the gene pool quicker. Now, what it's an interesting facet is diet is not helping that as well as the fact that uh, people that are, are now living longer and living through cancer are then passing it on. So what we're, it's, a, it's sort of a disadvantage of curing these diseases is instead of people, uh, actually, it's, of course it's a good thing, instead of people right. dying off and not 
giving them to children to pass on. They are living through them, yay, and then they're passing them on to their next of kin, and then it's going to stay in the gene pool. Not right. so yay, actually, sort of not so good. <laughs> and of course, on top of that, with the diet, and the diet thing's interesting too because what we've done is taken advantage of what the body craves, as everyone here, I'm sure, knows, like sugar, salts, and fats. What the body is very immediately seeking was found very naturally, but in a very small degrees because it also came with all sorts of nutrients. I want sugar. I don't go get candy bar. I get berries. I get right. uh, fruits and vegetables. I don't need, I'm craving fat. Well, I don't go after a thing with uh, a thing of butter. I go after uh, maybe maybe animal uh, maybe animals and meat or protein or, or, or uh, avocados or things that have right. uh, fats in them naturally that come with so much more that gave you and I crave salt. Well, you don't just eat salt or you don't just drink you know something salty and sweet all at once and that's <laughs> it. You had something that had salt in it, electrolytes in it, and with it came 90% of that item, fruits, vegetables, etc. Were good for you. But now that we've sort of isolated the things we're craving, just the salt, sugar, and fats, and like make now now we have the thing called a Twinkie. Right. Uh, you're getting all that you crave and none of what's supposed to come with it. It's supposed to naturally balance out in nature. Right. And uh, and we teach our children that it's okay to eat this every day. It's, every day. It isn't like... And no one has any interest, especially those that are selling it, in telling you not to eat it because they're just buying it. So why would we want to stop that? Right. And when they sell these single serving, it makes me crazy when I see kids with a bag of chips and I'm like, that's a two and a half serving bag of chips. I know. Especially if they're like a toddler. Right. I see three-year-olds with a big-ass thing. Yeah, my children, the most formative years. Right. Yeah. I saw a child drinking a fa- orange Fanta, and I walked by the parent, and I was like, "It's not. that's not orange juice. No. <laughs> it's fa- that's, I, I, mean, can, th- I would even go huge. farther and say the juice is a bigger issue, too. Juice has become sugar. a problem. Juice is, yeah, because it's just sugar, sugar, sugar. So I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of juice over soda. Don't get me wrong, but it's still very much sugar, sugar, sugar. What would yeah. be best is just eat the orange. Eat the orange, because then you get the fiber with the orange. Yep. See, some of these parents need to get hit, hit upside the head, though, too. What I have to they're, say. They're being lazy. For... for the way you raised your kids. See, this is why we need abortion. <laughs> because Preach. parents do and killing your kids slowly. That's yeah, what right. you're basically doing, which is a form of child abuse. It is. The fact of the matter is just like you're you're feeding your kid that you know Something has to tell you that this is not good. I don't care if you don't have a, a high school education. You know that eat, drinking all that Fanta is going to rot well, your fucking teeth. We, we you can think look, so. We can look this up, too. In 1980, I think there was, like, one incidence of childhood diabetes. Like, one or zero. Like, th- childhood diabetes didn't exist, basically. Type 2 child diabetes didn't exist in 1980. And suddenly... You got kids Ten years later, right... <laughs> 1990, that it just all of a sudden it existed and then it went up. Kids with titties, by the way, the name of my high school band. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have did you, your your computer so I fast? Wonder, yeah. I wonder who's in charge of the FDA. Who's going to be taking that job? Oh God. Yeah. Probably the Koch brothers. Ha-ha. Um. If it's like any trend that's been going on, I believe it's someone who's going to be very much against the FDA his whole life. Right. Exactly. Right. So like we're looking at some. You can see the ri- the rates. It's just it's a yeah, steep. Yeah, great radio. We have some graphs steep, for you. Steep inclines in numbers, from you know nine, 1980. What does it say? There were. It's like it's a number. Uh, Four hundred thousand cases in 1980, all the way up to now 2010, which is. Uh, but this is two ages. Million. It, this, is oh, this is ages 18 to 79. So this is that's adults. That's true. That's true. So this starts with adults. But now that's and that's the thing is that they wouldn't even. I don't even think they had figures. Here's a, we got the little kids Let's one. Try to distill it down to just the children. Yeah. Here. So you've got, you know, in the early 80s, like 
no, no kids have it. And then now there's this huge, huge uh, group. And that's the other problem is our kids are getting huge. And we wonder, like, what's, what's going on? And we just haven't, I don't know, we just haven't educated them. That Jamie Oliver guy, he came to the United States and did a little show where he, he asked kids, he showed them pictures and was like, what vegetable is this? They had no idea. San Francisco, I think, is a little different because we're a little more bougie and entitled and we like to be all organic and I'm rolling my eyes because, but it's good, right? Some of it gets a little bit too much. I know some, why you're rolling your like, <laughs> Yeah, but the kids now know, I mean, they eat salads. Wow. Uh, regular high school kids. But I, I think that San Francisco is a different little microcosmic right. area. And I also economically, I, that's another thing. I also think that you have to put that economics. We're just, we're, we're, we still have those people like the lady that gives her kid Fanta on the bus. Right. We still have that, you know. But I think also the fact that matters like our surroundings of people that do eat vegetables. We are in the garden garden bowl right basically yeah california's california yeah so if you like salads come to california (laughs) tossed we got got all sorts of different leafy greens out here yeah and now the kale chips i love kale chips i love i make them all the time and make them for kids kids eat them so easy that's just it the potato chips and the kale chips that for a kid it doesn't matter they're all salty and good and the the the, the thing is with training if, if, if the parents know well enough to start the kids off with a certain precedent and have an education behind it to know what to give the kids or not kids aren't going to know any difference they know when mm. something tastes good or not and, and they also will just follow what the parent is directing so yes if you start introducing if you just start off the, the child's life with kale chips as opposed to potato the child's not going to know any difference it's probably going to create the ch- kale chips right exactly Right. I, I also I do feel though like with uh, President Cheeto. I mean, he's not the best example. Speaking of snack food. Exactly, because yeah. he looks like a snack food, right? I really, the Obama administration, Michelle Obama would. Oh, she went was out, great. Yeah, went Michelle. out with a program for uh, children to stop uh, childhood obesity. Yes. I'm just curious because looking at his, you know, his administration, most of those people don't look that healthy. Right, right. Um, obviously, don't they don't live a healthy lifestyle because look how they are. Um, it's a safe assessment. Yeah, and it's just like seeing that administration compared to the Obama administration, where I'm not going to say the Obama administration was healthy, blah blah blah, but just as observation, I, I feel like. Uh, President Cheeto has high cholesterol. <laughs> Probably. I he's not the best representation. Like I he's actually one of the most bigger presidents. Yeah, he's a he's a larger man. Yeah. yeah. Compared yeah. to I'm thinking about George W. Clinton, uh W C- or Bush Senior, Reagan, uh Carter. None of those guys were fat. Oh. Yeah, we gotta go all the way back to Taft. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Damn. Yeah. You're right. Well, and wow. Taft and Taft's administration wasn't even. It was mostly his wife that dealt with everything. I I was reading the secret history, secret lives of first ladies, and I'm just so upset that it came out two years ago, so that only Michelle's in it and not Melania, because I just it seems so funny. I just I want to see what like the sketch drawing of her as a first lady. But I think she's the biggest joke of all. Her her campaign's going to be anti-bullying. That's going to be what she talks about. I don't, you know what? I don't even think they're going to give that to her now. They just want that bitch to be gone. 
she, you know, she's just in the. She, she, she didn't want to be there either. She was like, I don't want to be in the. I don't want to. I want to stay in my house. I don't want to go to the. To yeah, the, the White conventional house. wisdom is that Ivanka is going to be the sort of the number one lady in the White House. His real love of his life. <laughs> it, well, that's his daughter. Yeah. 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 yeah, one and the same. That's so. <laughs> that's so weird. Uh, that's, uh, that's what. Uh, so we we on the AltaCast we have a new uh, a new news partner. Uh, which is Gnarl. They are a pro- pro-choice group, so they sent me some stuff this week. Uh, and this is uh, a lifetime of Donald Trump, how to fight back against his Supreme Court pick. That happened yesterday that uh, Gorsuch was... Was he one of the, the ones who were on the short list, allegedly? He was, yeah, he was on a short list, and he's been... He's, he's 49 years old. He's the youngest to ever be nominated... Uh, for the Supreme oh, Court wow, Justice. That's a security, uh... And he also really wants to gut Planned Parenthood. Yeah, he's totally against um, Roe v. Wade. Ginsburg, please don't die. I know, right? God, yes. Please, <laughs> hold on. She's our only hope. Uh, on Medium, Narl pro-choice president Ilse Hogue lays out how Neil, Neil Gorsuch fits with Donald Trump's repeated promises to appoint Supreme Court justices who will overturn Roe v. Wade. She writes that Americans face an important question in light of yesterday's nomination. Will we be able to start digging out from the massive destruction that Donald Trump leaves in his wake in four years? Or will his agenda be enshrined for a lifetime through the highest court in our land? Gorsuch's view... Uh, is consistent with President Trump's governing philosophy, which perpetually looks backward to a time when America was great. Even if this vision of greatness means applying the social contract to the narrowest sets of stakeholders possible, traditionally men, traditionally white, and traditionally wealthy. What this philosophy does not do is incorporate the basic values of the framers, freedom, equality, and the right to self-determination, which, if they couldn't fully imagine the scope of the constituency that their founding document would aspire to protect. Uh, A Lifetime of Donald Trump, How to Fight Back Against His Supreme Court Pick. This was written yesterday. President Donald Trump has laid his cards squarely on the table. He's already started to make good on his odious campaign promises, from banning Muslims from entering our country to building a wall on our southern border, to denying women across the world life-saving information regarding their reproductive health care. And that's all just in the first week. Tonight, he announced his nominee for the Supreme Court. With this announcement, we face a question as Americans. Will we be able to start digging out from the massive destruction that Trump leaves in his wake in four years, or will his agenda be enshrined for a lifetime in the highest court in our land? Our grandchildren will judge us on what we uh, do to determine the answer to this question. Nothing less than our democracy is at stake, and with it the fate of those who need the promise of the American dream of justice and equality now more than ever. Neil Gorsuch offers none of that promise. In fact, shortly after Justice Scalia's death, he offered the following interpretation of judicial purview. Judges should instead strive if human, humanly and so imperfectly to apply the law as it is, focusing backward, not forward, and looking to text, structure, and history to decide what reasonable reader at the time of the events in question would have understood the law to be. 
Ooh. Gorsuch's view is consistent with President Trump's governing philosophy, which perpetually looks backward to a time when America was great, even if this vision of greatness means applying the social contract to the narrowest set of stakeholders possible, traditionally men, traditionally white, and traditionally wealthy. What this philosophy does not do is incorporate the basic values of the framers, freedom, equality, and the right to self-determination, even if they couldn't fully imagine the scope of the constituency that their founding document would aspire to protect. Gorsuch's narrow approach to the law is most evident in his track record on abortion access and reproductive rights. Donald Trump has repeatedly promised to appoint justices who will overturn Roe v. Wade, and we must assume that Neil Gorsuch was chosen for his commitment to unraveling our most basic constitutional rights. His judicial decisions read like a laundry list of every excuse to deny women of their constitutional right to sovereign decision-making and self-determination that is fundamental to the American promise. Well, I mean, I guess if the founding fathers, it was about men, so they probably weren't even thinking about Roe v. Wade back then oh, and no. women's All right men to are created equal. Right. They didn't say women. They didn't see, yeah. We didn't, didn't get see. created equal until 1920. Uh, we still ain't equal. Yeah. I'm a, whoa, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a person. And here's the thing. It, it's This is why I'm glad, you know, I went to the Women's March. Oh, very good. You were here in San Francisco or did yeah, you go to D.C.? Yeah, here, here in SF. Um, and I'm glad that that was going on all over the world, but we also really need to get our shit together and write to our senators and, and tell them, this is a choice that we have. You're dictating our bodies. If you as a Republican want small government, this is not what small government is. Right. This is the, reaching this, into all of our lives. Exactly. What, what you as a Republican, or those people Republicans, um, you 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 use the thing about freedom, but you're taking our personal choice away. Our personal freedom. Our personal I freedom. I have a joke about it, but I can't have a kid. I mean, I can have a kid, but I shouldn't have a kid, and it would be irresponsible for me to have a kid, both fiscally and emotionally, for everyone involved. Oh, yeah. For me, for the kid, for my boyfriend, for our living situation, for San Francisco as a whole, for the happiness <laughs> of all involved. <laughs> I should not have children for the happiness of my favorite bars and my bartenders <laughs> getting in trouble. I, I mean, I should not have children. I should be able to have the right that if something happens to me, I mean, thank God I have an IUD. But if I didn't, and I didn't even know about IUDs back in the day, but it, I mean, I, how could, it's this is the thing. How did they even elect him when he said he was going to ro- roll back Roe v. Wade? How is this even possible? How, how, that's the thing that's making me crazy. How is it even possible that they can roll back human rights and say, I mean, He's a dude. How does he get to say anything about my body? That means they can roll back the 13th Amendment, too. Uh, Well, exactly. (laughs) If we're going to look back, are we going to bring slavery back? Right. Yeah, you laugh, but Jesus, it's it's moving so fast and so forward, or I should say backwards in this this regard. It's a legitimate thought and conversation piece to have. Can we have Muslim slaves? Will be we go, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Can we have some slaves, please? This nationalist trend and this fascist sort of movement that's sort of brewing in the last few years, especially ignited by Trump's inauguration and uh, entering in the White House, has definitely caused for concern, in my humble opinion. beyond concern. So scary. Yeah. Like, you know, I say this all the time now. Like, I talk about, I used to talk about living through the W era. I will never talk shit about that era again. (laughs) Absolutely. So my 2004 self that was protesting the Iraq war and Afghanistan, I still like that person, but that person 
from that time, myself needs to shut the fuck up. So much, so much to look forward to. Exactly. Compared to what I'm dealing with right now. This is insane. Really makes you wistful for the days of George W. Oh, I... And I never thought. Who thought? <laughs> Who thought? thought? That, that lovable scamp. Oh, yeah. man. Dick Cheney, Carl Rove. Oh, my God. The best thing that happened to his legacy was Trump in office. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> absolutely true. Uh, they made it. The Here's that Gorsuch's narrow approach to the law is most evident in his track record on abortion access and reproductive rights. Uh, I already read that one. Neil Gorsuch's nomination th- it threatens not only to rob women of our most fundamental rights, but also to rip families apart because of where they were born, to just restrict our personal freedom to marry who we want, regardless of gender, and to criminalize people based on the religion they practice. Our lawmakers have a duty to make sure our next Supreme Court justice will preserve the role of the court as independent check on the runway excesses of our new administration. They have the duty to make sure our next Supreme Court justice will hold dear the importance of protecting the rights of all Americans. They must not confirm someone who will work to rewrite the Constitution to satisfy Donald Trump's agenda. Our Constitution gives us the right to make decisions about our own bodies and lives. It does not give politicians the right to substitute their own ideologies and beliefs for sound medical advice. Our constitution gives us the right to practice our religious faith freely. It does not give a racist regime the right to turn people away because they are Muslim. Our constitution gives us the right to a free and vigilant press. It does not give a wannabe dictator the rights to intimidate the media when they don't give him flattering coverage. The next Supreme Court justice should uphold these truths. We, the people, have to hold our administrative, uh, our representatives' feet to the fire when it comes to defending our rights and the Constitution that supports them. We have to support lawmakers who take action to prevent Trump from using his Supreme Court seat to consolidate his agenda. We have to tell our senators that we refuse to support a Supreme Court justice who is willing to compromise our personal freedoms, whether it's our right to access abortion or to marry the person we love. And we have the... I mean, marriage, whatever, but I mean, just because it's such a stupid contract anyways, and it's financial, but that's my own thing. I mean, and we have, but everyone, if if you guys want to do it, if you want to make that mistake, go ahead. Everyone has the right to make that mistake, to to combine their, their, to combine their finances with another person. You don't have, you don't have to enter that contract just to let you know there's enough. Anyways, this is not, this is my personal opinion, not this article. (laughs) And we have to make sure that our leaders know their legacy is at stake when they make decisions about how far to let Trump push the envelope. If we deliver a unified message, we cannot be ignored. We must live out our values through daily acts of resistance. Pick up the phone and speak our minds. Call your senator and let them know that the majority of Americans did not vote for President Trump, and certainly not to use the Supreme Court to rewrite the Constitution. Here's all you need to say to get your message across. Senator. Please know that I support you in this most fundamental role of demanding a Supreme Court nominee who is truly committed to upholding the rights of all Americans and who will serve as a check and balances on this and all administrations. Please do everything in your power to protect the people and assure that bigotry is not enshrined in our land for a lifetime. The next four years will not be easy. President Trump already has the power to institute policies that will change our lives for the worse, but we cannot afford to elevate his dangerous ideology with a lifetime appointment to our nation's highest court. Amen. 
Wow. You know, the fact of the matter is, I do appreciate that people all over the world are paying attention, especially what happened this past weekend with the whole ban. Oh, right. You know, it's so funny. It was just like, I was reading um, in Huffington Post today, they were talking to Trump supporters in a small town in West Virginia, and they were talking about, well, I don't understand why so many people are against this. You know, there's some of them are terrorists. This whole thing about, you know, protecting us from these countries. In which, by the way, all those countries that were selected did not have one terrorist act here. And we have not had a terrorist act by any of those countries since 1975. Wow. Oh, by the way, um, the guys that flew the plane on 9-11, they're from Saudi Arabia. And that country's good to go. Yeah, exactly. You know why? A lot of oil, a Uh, lot of money. A lot of money. Um, And a Trump Tower or two in there too, right? Yep. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's Uh, not suspicious at all. Oh, no. The thing is, people aren't getting, some of these people aren't getting the big picture of how we're being conned into... This, This is a scary thing. It's the next four years, but the Supreme Court, if he's 49 years old, he's going to be on that till he's like 90. Forever. 50 years. The guy's going to be on there for 50 years. Unless someone gives him the Scalia. Yeah, right. <laughs> A pillow to the face. God. Yeah, I said it. It's it's really scary. Now, here's the thing I don't understand. Why didn't Barack Obama get to do that in oh, December? because the Republic... It doesn't make sense to me though because so the Democrats played by the rules. Republicans just, are just he's been in finger to them. He's been in office for a week and a half, and he already has his appointment for the Supreme Court justice, where Obama was in for eight years and he didn't get to do it. I'm so confused. Well, I, I think also, I mean, uh, yeah, he should have been allowed to. He should have been allowed to in December. He should have. This uh, seat should have been Garland. filled. Merrick Garland. Yes. Merrick Garland was the gentleman who. Um, you know, he, he's very, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, for both sides. Down the middle? Yeah, down the middle. That's fine with me. Um, Could I was looking be a for judge. the appropriate term, but I'm kind of stoned right now. <laughs> uh, but Wait yeah, I mean, the thing is, you want someone that is down the middle, that is not party affiliated. Right. You know, that is for the people's best interest, not your personal interest. But we are talking about Cheeto right. here. Here's some things that happened after he... Um, he announced it last night. Oh there were some oh tweets. Uh, anti-choice extremist group Operation Rescue applauds Trump's nomination of Gorsuch to the U.S. Supreme Court. In a statement, Operation Rescue said, we want to express our thanks to President Trump for nominating a man of such stellar quality as Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court, said Operation Rescue President Troy Newman. One of the reasons I endorsed Trump for president was because of the strong promises he made to pro-life leaders. Now, after less than two weeks in office, he is keeping those promises, and we are very encouraged. He has proved himself to be a man of his word, and we're looking forward to speedy hearings on Judge Gorsuch's nomination and urge the Senate to expedite his confirmation to the U.S. Supreme Court. Why is there a man in charge of that? Well, no, it's it's they're anti-abortion. They're anti-choice. I know, anti-choice. but you would, you would think at least a woman that was anti that could understand why is this white dude yeah <laughs> like I why why is he the one that well here know. here's what he says operation rescues president troy newman has argued the biblical duty of a government rightly involves executing convicted murderers including abortionists that is that his goal is entirely to abolish abortion and has blamed abortion for everything from the 9-11 terrorist attacks to aids <laughs> wait hold on sounds reasonable 
dude. He's blamed abortion for uh, 9-11 AIDS? and AIDS. AIDS? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Operation Rescue, President of the United States of America. Thank you for Neil Gorsuch. You were a man of your word. That's what they tweeted yesterday. Anti-abortion activist Abby Johnson. Great Supreme Court justice picks. The SCOTUS is what she wrote. Johnson is the founder of And Then There Were None, an anti-choice group that attempts to convince abortion clinic workers to leave their jobs. She has called anti-choice extremist Troy Newman her friend and has argued against hormonal birth control. Wow. Family Research Council President Tony Perkins tweeted, Judge Gorsuch's record, especially on religious liberty, gives Americans every reason to believe he will make a fine Supreme Court. Oh, yeah, very fine. Justice pick. SCOTUS pick. Students for uh, students for life Students for Life, President Kirsten Hawkins, we are thrilled with Judge Neil Gorsuch's nomination, called for the Senate to take swift action to confirm in a statement. She wrote, we are thrilled with Judge Neil Gorsuch's nomination to the U.S. Supreme Court by President Trump, who is continuing to fulfill campaign promises at a breakneck speed. A strict constitutionalist and firm supporter of religious freedom and liberties dictated by the founding fathers, Judge Gorsuch is an excellent replacement for the late Justice Scalia and one who has the potential to leave a powerful legacy. The Supreme Court was of great concern to voters this past November, and the Senate should take swift action to confirm Gorsuch to the high court to ensure a full slate of justices. The Senate unanimously uh, confirmed Judge Gorsuch to be the... uh, uh, That's not true, because they haven't unanimously. Anyways... um, She's the president of Students for Life. So these are all just pro-life people saying how happy they are, which is awful. I don't understand women who are so... Uh, you, first of all, if you're a pro-lifer, the thing about being a pro-lifer is you never have to have one. You have right. that choice. And that's the problem with I have with a lot of women that are like anti-abortion. You don't have to get one. You have that choice. Right, that's, exactly. That's what we're trying to tell you. You never have to go through this. It's like it's like a, a black person voting for the 13th Amendment. I would love to go back to slavery because that's kind of what it sounds like. You know, the right. fact that matters is just like, I would like to roll back the hands of time and have a, a choice of not having an abortion in a safe place. But who does that? That's the thing. Who does it help? If If we take abortion away... Who does it help? Who does it help? The fetuses? <laughs> yeah, I'll step in here and say that I, I'm, with, I'm on everyone's side here who's talking, but I will point out that there is an argument to be made that they say that life begins at the cellular reproduction level, and therefore you are murdering someone the same as you would be murdering a 40-year-old. But So from their point of view, it's not a women's rights thing. It's a saving a life no matter what thing, which is why it's so difficult to talk to. See, so let's ask them about the, how they feel about the death penalty. Yeah, see, I think you I think you're right and I think a lot of them would turn around and say that is someone who has earned their death versus a fetus who has not had a choice in the matter. Except that we playing this other side so of it if I can. Right. We as people are a collection of our experiences. Through our this magical brain, even babies, like, you know, they're not like they're like marsupials. They're not like people yet. They're like, wow, wow, wow. They can't take care of themselves. <laughs> if you took me, they're not. If you took a baby and you, you, you have to take care of a baby. You can't just, you know, put it in a drawer. It can't feed itself. It can't do anything. Babies can't do anything. <laughs> and so if you're not prepared to be able to take care of that, why, 
the, I see. I don't agree with the cells thing. Like I don't. I don't. I don't. That. I don't I, the, the fact of the matter is, I think a lot of people again are misinformed of like when life begins as well. Because some people think that women are able to get abortions at nine months. Yeah. No. 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 You cannot get a. You cannot get an abortion at nine months. I mean, if your child had severe spinal bifida or something, that, and it was well, a medical abortion, because they're gonna. Yeah. The baby's gonna die anyways. But, yeah. But what I'm saying is, you just saying, oh, by the way, I don't want to have this kid, and it's like the eighth or ninth month. Yeah, that Legally, happen. you cannot do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I would, I'm not for that either. The child, by that point, the child's already developed. But it has a, it has a, it has a little brain, it has a little heart. Exactly. That is the difference between three, three weeks, eight weeks. I mean, I feel like on. if it can't live on its own and breathe through its own lungs, that it's not really alive. It's yeah. By the eighth month, no, of course you're not going to have an abortion by the eighth. That's and I've heard people say this, but it's so crazy. But if they're so moral, how come it's if a baby? It, it babies an abortion, but we eat other animals' babies like all the time. Chicken. Well, that one's easiest because God smiled upon man and gave him the right to be the superior <laughs> being of all of planet Earth, and we have a soul. They don't. It's the hubris of man. They're yeah. just silly little playthings. That's a, that's so crazy to me though, because I feel like my cat has such a soul. I, I really feel like Spike is no, a I'm sentient sorry. being. No, he's what are, the cat. My dog. We has tried to fit one in there, but it's just too big. It's only human size. Again. It's only sorry. human size. <laughs> I had this other crazy theory that um uh. The reason that autism has become so prevalent, uh, this is from like a, a, a religious background thing. So I feel like the the, way, the reason autism has, be, autism has become so prevalent is that um, we've been destroying as the energy cannot be created or destroyed. So there's a certain amount of life energy that exists in the world that that God has been putting into different bodies. And I feel like as we've been murdering, you know, like large whales in the sea, their souls have to go somewhere. So I think that's where sort of autism has come from. They're, they're actually the extinct form of whales. Or wow. like there were strange, there's like some strange bonobo monkeys or whatever that were exterminated in, in India or whatever. And I feel like maybe those are all the they're new. They're spiritually coming back into our pool. They're spiritually coming back into our pool and that's I, why we have such a research that's, that's why there's so many I feel like uh, I feel like that one's still a better uh, alternative than Jim Carrey pushing the vaccination uh, reason I feel like I'm still uh -huh. more on board with yours than his oh he that's says that vaccinations are the reason for autism yeah he and Jenny McCarthy Jenny and a lot McCarthy, of yeah. people believe that the vaccination things even though the reports on those years ago were shown to be disproven and biased by money they're they're scientists well but we but here's the thing I mean honestly yeah. Bringing, bringing back another plague like polio to kill a bunch of people isn't a terrible idea. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's we're really, not that the world is necessarily being overpopulated, but kind of it is. It's, I think we're being overpopulated with more, you know, American entitlement issues. And what's really going to stop, like, we've solved AIDS. Dang it. <laughs> Although, you know, it's like we, we, we need another epidemic. We need the plague. Don't say that. We oh. need two million Don't people to die. Like, it's a clean house, right? Just, we uh, need just to tidy up a baby. It's like uh, Marie Kondo's The Magic of Tidying Up, except it's for people. Except just, it's uh, for people. Oh, just, yeah. I don't want another epidemic. Some crazy, like some... Like some crazy, like it's gonna wipe out a lot. The rats are gonna bring a new plague. Sorry, I bet oh you. Want, I bet you're a clutter klutz, aren't you? No, is that is your closet kind of disorganized? That's scary, yo. That is like not wanting an epidemic. You must be disorganized. I do not want a fucking epidemic warfare, germ house. warfare. That is well, fucking oh scary as fuck. Of course, like of course. Well, you know, you should talk to is China and India. They're the ones yeah. cr cranking out kids left and left and right and right. Right. <laughs> 
Well, and they're starting to have entitlement issues as well in that they want cars, they want their own burgeoning middle class, but there's so many of them. We're like, you can't be middle class like us. You can't. They want all of our weird products that they're making. And we're, we just, I really think the answer is, is Americans feeling entitled to less. And, and the problem is that the children that we've been making feel entitled to more. more and we're not teaching them, you know, it's like they don't know how to make a pie. What's a pie? But they know how to eat individual like McDonald's pies. It, it just, <laughs> we're not, we're not giving them the skills. How many kids do you know that can actually cook an egg the way they like it? You know, know like how many adults do you know that know how to cook an egg the way they like it? <laughs> I know we hear or, the laughter because it's real. The egg that they want, they don't know what it is. They're like, what's a poached egg? Yeah. Or like when I, I work sometimes brunch, so it's so funny to me when people say, oh, I want my egg fried. So I'm like, okay. So I go through, do you want it over easy, over hard, over medium, scrambled hard, scrambled? Because that's means fried is very vague. Right. So I want a fried obviously egg. you don't cook. That's, right, right, right. So I'm right. like, you don't. Bitch, you don't cook, do you? Yeah. It's one of those moments where I'm just like, you should know. This is basic eggs. This is, yeah. And I don't even like eggs. Shit. I feel like every every child should know a couple things. Uh, they should know how to cook an egg. Uh, they should know how to boil water uh, to make a hard-boiled egg. They're going to make something. They should know, like, how to safely deal with heat and protein I'm so sad. I guess they can look it up on their iPhone. Uh, yeah, is there a YouTube video that talks about these eggs? You, these you're eggs, talking about? yeah, these crazy <laughs> eggs. Uh, so there's there's our news. Our news actually took a long time today. We talked for a long time. So uh, that's great. You guys are listening to the AltaCast here on Mutiny Radio. It is Wednesday, the first, 2017, and I have the fear. I am so afraid. Um, all right, uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look up a little music so that we can take a little break because that sounds like a fun time. Uh, maybe we'll smoke a little and uh, figure out what's going on with the world out there. Let's see some music. You know what? We'll listen to uh, my favorite band, local metal band. They played the last. Not yeah, last Tuesday they played at. Um, the knockout and we had a great oh you got to see them live i got to see them live oh this They're is great, great. Uh, i put in oh it said it said floating band i said floating goat you you dorks okay. floating goat they're a great band uh, drummer comedian aaron barrett is uh, one of them oh i i like this spawn of poseidon let's see let's listen to some spawn of poseidon this just came out and uh, I, it, you know, it's exciting. Is it already has, it has a, um, an ad on it. That's exciting. Yeah, that, like you can see some. That means that uh, they're 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 a big deal. They've got a Starbucks ad on the on the front of their. Uh, they are somebody. So here is some of my favorite band. This is. Where to go?
of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutinyradio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Got the mutiny, mutiny radio. Got the mutiny, mutiny radio. Got the mutiny, mutiny radio, my friend. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny radio, my friend. Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Let's Spiegelman. We're hosts of... Follow us on podcast by with our acronym L W A F L M O Y T. We watch a full length movie on YouTube with you, and you listen to the podcast and watch the movie at the same time. Yeah, L W A F L M O Y T. Yeah, That's every Sunday, two p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or if you're Carl, five percent. Five yeah, right. I'm so lazy. Three hours later, I finally get to the show. 5 p.m. Let's hear the theme song. Oh, uh, da, 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 da. let's watch full length. Oh, wait, let's do a full minute promo. Oh, never mind. Bye. See, ya. See you next month. I was, was really just cool. leaving the theater. <laughs> 1969 gold Cadillac with the white interior. Oh. Up here. And I started to do some thinking. Around, ended on the freeway, and I'm having a really, really good time. Flat black glass. Looking big spliffs and cruising. Saturday, noon to two. On the freeway. Good I am a total. Can I see? Uh, Lori's 
Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. Invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor.
for those who have an insatiable appetite for all things in life, who scream at nothing and everything at the same time, who dance till sunup, who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rival the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquake struck, who don't give a fuck, who make, who do, who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs, who draw shock and awe on faces graced with watching, who create from the soul of an orgasm, who swagger even alone in the shower, who fight with passion and love with passion and our passion who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution who would rather die than fall in line to conform who constantly challenge the norm who greet each and every day as if just born i say to you i know your greatness the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact and in fact i know it best when i say to you i love you Hello there, my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Mufi's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Pamtastics Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off for... <laughs> it's in duty this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer cottage on the mountain ridge for the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. <laughs> Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft? Confederate ship as you sail through. Good morning, everybody. Return to Meet Me Radio. <clears throat> this is The Bee, your host at Labor and Love Radio, having a truncated version of Labor and Love Radio this week. One hour instead of two. Hang with us. Work the day shift with me. Listen to some Etta Jane.
Mama, look there, you children are playing in the street again. Don't you know what happened down there? A youth of 14 got shot down there. The cocaine guns are jammed downtown. The killing clowns are blood money men. Shooting goes. Washington bullets again. As every cell in Chile will tell the cries of the tortured men. Remember Lenny in the days before, before the army came. Remember Victor Hara in the Santiago Stadium.
can rebel at the Moscow bullets missed. Ask him what he thinks of voting communist. Ask the Dalai Lama in the hills of Tibet. How many months did the Chinese get? In a war-torn swamp, stop any mercenary. Check the British bullets in his armory.
to see the end of bushes rain. Have faith, have love and patience. It's getting closer every day. And I'll stand in all of you. You always point the better This government of shame This government of shame I'm looking for a new direction I'm hungry for a change Finally the whole world's rejecting This government of And good morning, everybody. This is the B Labor and Love Radio coming to you from Mutiny Radio at 2781 21st Street. This is the Labor and Love Show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. You don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, where you work. You're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. Here's some Lawrence Ferlinghetti. We have certain credos on this show. Things that we believe, and we hope all of you believe too. This is called Pity the Nation by Lawrence Ferlinghetti, the late Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Pity the nation whose people are sheep and whose shepherds mislead them. Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silenced and whose bigots haunt the airwaves, pity the nation that raises not its voice except to praise conquerors and acclaim the bully as hero and aims to rule the world by force and by torture. Pity the nation that knows no other language but its own and no other culture but its own. Pity the nation whose breath is money and sleeps the sleep of the too well-fed. Pity the nation. Oh, pity the people who allow their rights to erode and their freedoms to be washed away. My country, tears of thee, sweet land of liberty. By the late Lawrence Ferlinghetti. And here's something from Robert Reich. This is your remainder your reminder, pardon me, that the richest 1% own half of the stock market. The richest 1% own half the stock market and the richest 10% own almost 
All of it, 92%. Say that again, the richest 10% own almost all of it. So when people brag about the stock market, they're not talking about the economy that 90% of Americans inhabit. Keep that in mind when you're sitting there watching your favorite channel or video, 10% own 90%, 92% of the stock market. This is from Utah Phillips. Why do we need a labor movement, huh? Kids don't have a little brother working in the coal mines. They don't have a little sister coughing her lungs out in the looms of the big mill towns of the Northeast. Why? Because we organized. We broke the back of the sweatshops in this country. We have child labor laws. Those were not benevolent gifts from enlightened management. They were fought for, they were bled for, they were died for by working people, by people like us, people like you. Kids ought to know that. That's why I sing these songs. That's why I f tell these stories, damn it. No root, no fruit. That's why we need labor education in this country. No root, no fruit. Can I tell you a secret? This is from Jesse Nimmer, Democrats, uh, Democratic Socialist of L.A. Can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if they're undocumented immigrants in this country. Without social security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. The vast, vast majority of them are normal people trying to live a better life. This whole wall, deport the illegals BS is just the 1% convincing us the working poor, the working class, to blame a subset of the working class for the fact that they're all poor. Instead of the reason they're all poor is due to vast income equality and resource price inflation in combination with wage stagnation. Use your brains. The existence of another poor person is not why you're poor. It's because the people who control everything Refuse to increase your wages. Everybody's saying now, bosses, CEOs, corporations are running around looking for people to work. And they can't find them. Is it because people are lazy? No, it's because people want to be paid more. They don't want to go back to a job where they're barely surviving. 
So, you're just not that into politics, huh? Your boss is. Your landlord is. Your insurance company is. And every day they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. It's time to get into politics. It's a nice one, huh? Common sense. You're poor because you're not getting paid enough. <laughs> Your wages are too low. Maybe it's time to get into politics, huh? Okay. A couple more. I wanted to find the one about. I wanted to find the one about reproductive rights. Here's one from George Sand. Humanity is outraged in me and with me. We must not dissimulate nor try to forget this indignation, which is one of the most passionate forms of love. Great George Sand. <clears throat> Here's the one about reproductive rights. When the penalty for aborting after rape, woman gets raped and she gets an abortion because she doesn't want to have that child, when the penalty for aborting after rape is more severe than the penalty for rape, that's when you know it's a war on women. Think about that. Woman who gets raped is up for a larger penalty when she wants an abortion, to get an abortion, and is the rapist. Is something wrong or what? Okay, I want to play some labor history. See if we can find labor history in two. Um, okay, labor history in two. July. 8th, WPA Building Trades on Strike. This is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1939. That was the day AFL President William Green called all affiliates to meet in Chicago. Green sought to mobilize union leaders in a fight to restore prevailing wages on federal relief projects. Building tradesmen on WPA construction sites had started walking off the job in spontaneous strikes across the country three days earlier. The strike spread rapidly to 36 states, quickly turning into a nationwide walkout of over 150,000. Workers were outraged by provisions in the latest federal relief bill titled the Woodrum Act. New terms established the 130-hour rule, essentially slashing wages by more than half. 
It also called for a 30-day dismissal of all workers who had been on WPA rolls for 18 months. The AFL Building Trades Department stated the act would, quote, destroy national wage standards established through 50 years of collective bargaining. IBEW leader Daniel Tracy added that forcing a lower wage on federal relief workers would only aid building contractors in private industry to do the same. From St. Louis to Rochester, from Minneapolis to Akron, picket lines were solid. Organizers worked to build solidarity among unskilled WPA workers affected by the new starvation bill. Tens of thousands of strikers were fired in WPA-ordered dismissals. President Roosevelt declared there could be no strikes against the federal government. Attorney General Frank Murphy, former Michigan governor during the Flint sit-down strike, declared that striking against the government would build a fascist psychology. WPA administrators also threatened organizers with federal prosecution, fines, and jail time. But New York's Building and Construction Trades Council leader Thomas Murray authorized a strike of 32,000. He avowed this will be a strike to the finish. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1935. That was the day transit workers in the Bronx walked off the job in what is referred to as the squeegee strike. These were the days when New York City's public transit was barely organized. Two of the three transit companies in New York City were privately owned with entrenched company unions. Up to this point, transit bosses had successfully crushed every previous strike. Now, six car cleaners at the Jerome Avenue barn had just been fired for refusing management's imposed speed up. Supervisors had replaced their 10-inch squeegees with those that measured 14 inches. They were expected to clean more in a shorter period of time. According to historian Joshua Freeman, author of In Transit, when word spread that the six cleaners had been fired, others downed their tools in protest. They demanded unsuccessfully to meet with the shop foreman. After several hours of waiting, they discovered that management had removed their time cards. That's when the two-day walkout began. As many as 70 workers stormed off the job. Pickets went up outside the barn and at the Inner Borough Rapid Transit headquarters. The regional NLRB office quickly mediated a settlement that forced the IRT to reinstate the discharged workers and strikers and to answer their grievances. Freeman notes this first strike, though small in scale and brief, was significant. The victory of the squeegee strike immediately built the TWU's authority citywide. It quickly brought several hundred new members into the union. The new dues-paying members provided a financial base for full-time organizers needed to organize New York City's transit. The union would grow rapidly and soon enjoy a number of organizing victories. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Labor History in 2. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in 2. On this day in labor history, the year was 1918. That was the day machinist John Connolly was fired from General Electric's sprawling river works in West Lynn, Massachusetts. Firings of several more labor activists prompted 14,000 workers, 40% of them women, to walk off the job and flood the ranks of the IAM and the IBEW. The newly established War Labor Board emboldened GE workers. They looked to the board for help in beating back yellow dog contracts and to organize bona fide unions. 
A Metal Trades Council had finally been established at the GE plant in Schenectady, New York. Workers hoped to do the same at Lynn. After Connolly's discharge, GE managers fired another 14 activists three days later. As Joseph McCartan describes in his book, Labor's Great War, thousands of outraged workers met the evening of the firings and determined there was nothing left to do but strike. The walkout began the following Monday. David Montgomery describes the scene in the fall of the House of Labor, writing, quote, early in the afternoon, union sound trucks outside the building blared fighting songs and called to death tools. Within an hour, the GE Riverworks were empty. The strike lasted three weeks. In that time, strikers defeated attempts at arbitration, demanding the board rule on their behalf as it had done for GE workers in Schenectady. In October, the board adjusted wages, ordered reinstatement of all but two of the fired workers, and established minimum pay for women. It also ordered the election of shop committees. Lynn Riverworks was now 95% organized. Victory was short-lived, however. In the post-war period, unions at GE and elsewhere were summarily defeated in vigorous open shop drives across the country. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. Okay, there's our labor history dose for this week, remember you're only alone when you don't stand up. And if you don't stand up, you'll be counted as sitting down. <clears throat> Did I get that wrong? You don't sit down. Anyway, what happens is if you take no action at all, you will be counted as a negative action. I want to change scenery a little bit now. I want to talk about a very important organizer and journalist. Uh, look at the Labor and Love Radio website, and you'll see. This is about a woman named Marvell Cook and her career as one of the first black journalists hired by a, pre a predominantly white paper and her organizing attempts at organizing a journalist's union. It's called Career. Marvel Jackson Cook, April 4, 1903 to November 29, 2000, was a pioneering American journalist, writer, and civil rights activist. She was the first African-American woman to work at a mainstream white-owned newspaper. Marvel Jackson was the first black child to be born in Mankato, Minnesota. Her parents were Madison Jackson and Amy Wood Jackson. Her father was an Ohio State University Law School graduate who was the first black member of the South Dakota Bar, but was unable to find employment as a black lawyer. Her mother once lived on a Native American reservation as a cook and cooking teacher. Amy Wood Jackson left her position on the reservation in South Dakota due to witnessing too much unfair treatment of the Native Americans there. After leaving her cooking job, she became a homemaker and was a mother full-time for Marvel and her three sisters. Marvel experienced the effects of racial discrimination from a young age. She was raised in an upper-class, white neighborhood in Minneapolis, 
where her family moved in 1907. After first purchasing their home, residents demonstrated on the Jackson's lawn in protest of a black family moving into the area. The schools in the area had not yet desegregated, but Marvel's enrollment in her elementary school and high school desegregated both institutions. She overheard her favorite teacher use racial slurs when she was in elementary school, and her best childhood friend rejected her when she was 17 because she was black. In 1921, Marvel enrolled at the University of Minnesota. Only four other black women were enrolled with her, the entire student body at the time amounted to 20,000. She helped to establish an Alpha Kappa Alpha chapter at the university while she attended. While enrolled in college, Marvel took a government examination to qualify for a position as a Spanish translator for the War Department. Her score qualified her for hire, but her boss gave her a job as a file clerk after lying and telling her the translation department was not yet established. Cook later found out that the department was established with only white women on staff, she contacted Senator Henrik Shipstad, who responded and helped reassign her to the translation department. In 1925, Marvel graduated from the University of Minnesota with a degree in English, at the age of 22. Cook was offered a job as assistant to W.E.B. Dubois, editor of the NAACP magazine The Crisis, and in 1926 moved to New York City, settling in Harlem, during the Harlem Renaissance. Before working at the crisis, she had neither taken a journalism course nor had she worked for a newspaper. Her ability as a writer was recognized by Dubois, who put her in charge of a column in the magazine, where her brief tenure included writing critiques of works by the literary giants of the day, including Langston Hughes, Zora Neale Hurston and Dorothy Parker. In addition to writing the column, named in the magazines, Cook laid out the newspaper. Mentored by Dubois, she became friendly with leading writers and artists, including Paul Robeson, Count T. Cullen, Elizabeth Cadlett, Richard Wright, Langston Hughes, Arna Bontom, and James Weldon Johnson. She broke off her engagement to, later NAACP leader, Roy Wilkins because she thought him too conservative. In 1927, she went to work on the New York Amsterdam News, where she was the first woman reporter in their 40-year history. In 1929, she married a Jamaican-born Cecil Cook, a graduate of Columbia University, who was the world's fastest quarter-miler when she met him. Their marriage would last until his death in 1978. After marrying, they moved to Greensboro, North Carolina, where Marvel taught history, English and Latin in the high school department of North Carolina Agricultural and Technical College. Returning to New York in the Amsterdam News in 1931, she helped found the first chapter in New York of the Newspaper Guild and was involved in strike action at the news, joining the picket for 11 weeks when the editorial workers' union was locked out. The strike was finally ended on Christmas Eve 1934. Cook disliked the crime story she was assigned by the news, finding distasteful the paper's handling of such stories and preferring to expand the paper's coverage of the arts, for instance, traveling at her own cost to cover Marian Anderson's historic open-air concert at the Lincoln Memorial in 1939. She also reported stories that she believed would be informative for the black community, publishing a front-page story that exposed problematic working conditions for the Apollo Theater's dancers and a series that analyzed rising crime rates in Harlem. Cook eventually left the paper for good in 1940. She disliked a sensational headline, killed sweetheart, slept with body, and the sensational nature of the paper overall. While working for the Amsterdam News, Cook interviewed a wealthy woman at a Park Avenue apartment. She was not allowed to enter through the front door of the building because of her race, so she called the interviewee and canceled the meeting. The interviewee then forced the apartment's management to allow Cook in through the front door. From 1942 to 1947, Cook worked on The People's Voice, 
a weekly owned by Adam Clayton Powell, as assistant managing editor. Cry News for the People's Voice was limited to a single brief column, suiting Cook's journalistic preferences much more than the Amsterdam News. The newspaper went out of business in 1947. In 1950 she was hired by the New York paper The Daily Compass, becoming the first African-American woman to serve as a reporter for a mainstream white-owned newspaper. At the time she was also the only woman employed there, as well as being the only black journalist. The following year, to highlight the exploitation of black domestic workers in white homes she got herself hired along with others seeking work by the day and then described her experiences in a compelling five-part series for the Daily Compass entitled The Bronx Slave Market, which was promoted with signs that said, Read, I Was a Slave, by Marvel Cook. Cook revealed many upsetting working conditions for domestic laborers, including how the white women who hired black women would pay significantly less than the rate established by the New York State Employment Service. Employers would also manipulate the hands on their clocks in order to trick workers into laboring an hour for free. In addition to publishing the piece, the newspaper published an editorial directly addressed to Mayor William O'Dwyer in an effort to curb the exploitation. The combined series and editorial led the Domestic Workers Union and the State Employment Agency to create courses for household workers and the American Labor Party sought standardized wages. Cook then published a piece entitled Occupation, Street Mother. chronicled the process of prostitution in the area, she also published a piece that detailed black children's drug use entitled From Candy to Heroin. New York City officials began a program to decrease teenage drug addiction after From Candy to Heroin was published. She remained with the Daily Compass until its closure in November 1952. While working at the Amsterdam News in the 1930s, Cook not only helped create a local chapter of the Newspaper Guild, the labor union of newspaper journalists, but held union meetings in her home and subsequently participated in an 11-week strike, during which she joined the Communist Party. Cook joined the Communist Party in 1936 after convincing from journalist Benjamin J. Davis. She joined even though she may have been fired if her employers knew of her political affiliation. She also formed a writing group to support creative authors. One of the participants was the first black writer to publish a book of the month club selection, Richard Wright. In the 1953, she became the New York director of the National Council of Arts, Sciences, and Professions. The National Council brought together artists, scientists, and professionals for political unity. Arthur Miller and John Randolph were members. In 1953, when she was called twice to testify regarding her involvement with the Communist Party before Senator Joseph McCarthy in New York and Washington, D.C., she pleaded the Fifth Amendment. Cook began working with the Angela Davis Defense Committee in 1969 and she volunteered as National Legal Defense Secretary of the Angela Davis Defense Fund in 1971. She coordinated committee activities in New York, raised money for Angela Davis's defense, and organized a rally at Madison Square Gardens. The rally had 16,000 participants and raised $40,000. In her later years Cook became national vice chairman of the American Soviet Friendship Committee. Cook died of leukemia in New York in 2000, at the age of 97, having lived most of her life at 409 Edgecombe Avenue the legendary apartment building in Sugar Hill that was home to many other black luminaries. Marvel Cook, The Bronx Slave Market, 1950, reprinted in Viewpoint Magazine 5, October 2015. Marvel Cook, Occupation Streetwalker. Marvel Cook, From Candy to Heroin. Marvel Jackson Cook. So that's a piece on with a, a robot reader, of course. <clears throat> uh, 
uh, crusading journalist. <clears throat> I hate to use that word. Um, this woman was absolutely fearless and uh, never deviated from her professed purpose of using her skills to help those less powerful than her and also to change the world. Marvel Cook. We're almost done on our truncated version this week of uh, Labor and Love Radio, but I do want to play uh, something from Radio Labor. Radio Labor will be on on vacation, on hiatus until September 6th. This is a piece on child labor. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. I'm Seamary Ainsbrook. For the first time in 20 years, progress to end child labor in the world has stalled in the past four years, the number of children in child labor has risen to 160 million worldwide. In that time, 8.4 million children have been added to the number of child laborers. Even worse, the number of children in hazardous work has risen to 79 million. Hazardous work is defined as work that is likely to harm the health and safety of a child. On June 12th, a week of action to eliminate child labor was started with the participation of unions all over the world. One of those labor organizations is Education International, the global union for teachers and other educators. Here is Dennis Signalo, the director of EI's African region. He mentions the UN's Sustainable Development Goal, the SDG, for eliminating child labor. Education International is the global federation of education unions, representing more than 32.5 million teachers and education support personnel in 178 countries. Since its inception 28 years ago, EI has made the eradication of child labor one of its primary objectives. We currently have ongoing programs in 13 countries, mostly in Africa. There is consensus that the most effective way to eradicate child labor is to ensure access to equitable, inclusive, quality education for all. Quality education can break the generational cycles of poverty. We know that a child who works today instead of being in school is likely to be tomorrow's unemployed adult. However, putting children in school is not enough. Putting children in overcrowded classrooms, in schools without toilets or water, or not enough trained teachers can result in school dropouts. What all children need is a quality education ensured by three key pillars. Number one, qualified teachers with decent salaries and working conditions. Number two, quality tools and resources. Number three, safe, healthy and supportive quality learning environments. To achieve this, governments should meet the internationally agreed benchmark of allocating at least 20% of the national budget or at least 6% of GDP to education. The COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated long-standing education challenges. Research evidence shows that very little learning has occurred during school closures, mainly because of the digital divide. Radio, TV and other initiatives 
have not reached the most marginalized children. In particular, rural children, those with disabilities, migrants and refugees. Girls have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic and there is a real risk that many may not return to school due to pregnancy, early marriage or child labour. The prospect of achieving SDG 4 by 2030 is fast diminishing. EI has worked with its member organisations and partners to eradicate child labour. EI projects focus on making the school environment conducive to attract children to school and keep them there. Teacher unions engage education authorities, school leaders and teachers, parents and the wider community in projects with a holistic approach that covers issues around quality teaching, student-centred approaches, safe schools, professional ethics, inclusive education, gender equality and teacher status and working conditions. The millions of children still subjected to child labour instead of being in school are crying for help. We have the responsibility to make their lives better through inclusive quality education for all. You can find more information about Education International's efforts to end child labour at ei-ie.org. Child labour increases. That was a little talk by Dennis Signolo, director of the African Education International. Child labour, the ultimate, the ultimate indictment of capital society. Well, that's just about it for this week. This is the B reminding you that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Remember to keep your head up. by a, a young man who was walking away from a demonstration against U.S. involvement in Japan.
of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Got the mutiny, mutiny radio. Got the mutiny, mutiny radio. Got the mutiny, mutiny radio, my friend. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny radio, my friend. You ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Let's Spiegelman. We're hosts of... Follow us on podcast by with our acronym L W A F L M O Y T. We watch a full length movie on YouTube with you, and you listen to the podcast and watch the movie at the same time. Yeah, L W A F L M O Y T. Yeah, L W A F L M O Y T. That's every Sunday, two p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or if you're Carl, five percent. Five yeah, percent right. I'm so lazy. Three hours later, I finally get to the show. 5 p.m. Let's hear the theme song. Oh, uh, uh, let's watch full length. Oh, wait, let's do a full minute promo. Oh, never mind. Bye. See, ya. See you next month. I was just leaving the theater. Convertible. 1969 gold Cadillac with the white interior. I drove it up here. And I started to do some thinking. Around in it on the freeway, and I'm having a really, really good time. Flat black glass. Smoking big spliffs and cruising. Saturday, noon to two. On the freeway. Good feeling. I am a total. Can I see? Lori's starting. 
Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. Invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. insatiable appetite for all things in life, who scream at nothing and everything at the same time, who dance till sunup, who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rival the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquake struck, who don't give a fuck, who make, who do, who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs, who draw shock and awe on faces graced with watching, who create from the soul of an orgasm, who swagger even alone in the shower, who fight with passion, 
and love with passion and our passion who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution who would rather die than fall in line to conform who constantly challenge the norm who greet each and every day as if just born i say to you i know your greatness the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact and in fact i know it best when i say to you i love you Hello there, my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Mufi's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Fantastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off for And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer cottage on the mountain ridge for the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. We'll laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. <laughs> Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live...